Genesis chapter 41, we're continuing through the life of Joseph. Verse 1, then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream and behold, he stood by the river. So two full years have gone on after Joseph had done nothing wrong, after he was in prison and he cared for these other men. He pointed them to the gospel. He pointed them to Jesus. He loved on them. He cared for them. And yet he was completely forgotten. And what must have gone on in Joseph's mind during the season? Another two years after being in slavery, after your brother's plotting against you and getting rid of you, now falsely accused, you've done nothing wrong, and now you're sitting in prison for two years. Right? Would you get bitter with the Lord? Would you get angry? Would you get mad? Would you feel like you're owed much more than what you've been dealt? And what we're going to see throughout this chapter is when things don't make sense, when things get rougher and tougher, the Lord, He is moving. The Lord, He is still working. It's not like Elijah when he was messing with the prophets of Baal. Is your God on vacation? Is your God on the toilet? Right? What's going on? And sometimes in our hearts, we forget and we think, Lord, are you on vacation? Lord, are you not watching the news? Are you not seeing what's going on? What in the world is going on? And yet in the midst of trial and turmoil and natural disasters, God is going to work his perfect plan. He's going to make it come to pass. So again, verse 1. At the end of two years, Pharaoh, he dreamed a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly, there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the river bank. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke, right? We don't know what he was thinking. Man, I shouldn't have eaten that pizza last night. That Taco Bell hit me really hard. He wakes up. We don't know if he gets some water. He goes back to sleep, verse 5, and then he dreams a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Verse 8. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Family, one of the first things for us to realize here is that the world has questions. The world is looking for answers. But the world doesn't have them. The world doesn't have the answers. Jesus is the only answer. Truly, the only answers come from the Lord, come from God's word. So we need to be careful in this season and any season in life trying to answer the questions of this life with the things or the people of this world, right? He's dealing with a situation. He's asking all of his chief executives. He's asking all of Twitter, all of Reddit, right? Hey, I, I had this dream. It was crazy. What's happening? What does this mean? And yet no one could interpret them for Pharaoh. But then verse 9, then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day, right? It's all of a sudden he has a flashback and saying, oh my goodness, right? I forgot about this guy. I forgot about this kid. He saved me. He gave me hope. He gave me the right interpretation. He spoke to me. The one thing he told me to do was not forget about him. And it's been two years, right? He forgot about him completely. Now verse 10, he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream. And one night, he... And I, and each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. And now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. 
and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to office, and he hanged him. It's as if when the butler hears of Pharaoh's bad and weird dreams, all of a sudden he thinks, oh man, I know a guy, right? That reminds me of a guy. I met him two years ago, but hey, that reminds me of a guy. He tells Pharaoh, then in verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and he called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, he changed his clothes and he came to Pharaoh. Right? What must have been going on in Joseph's heart, in Joseph's mind? He's two years. Lord, have you forgotten about me? Lord, have you given up on me? Were there moments when he just wanted to give up on the Lord, when he wanted to quit and say, this is over, this is done with? Those dreams were lies. Those dreams are never going to happen. So what's the point? What's the point of still hoping and still believing? Verse 15, he's brought in right away into the throne room of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I have had a dream. There's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And again, family, how would you react? Your last get out of jail free card completely forgot about you for the last two years. Now all of a sudden you're brought into the throne room of Pharaoh and he's talking about how great and amazing you are. He's saying, hey, you're my only ticket. You're my only hope. What would you do? Yes, Pharaoh, as a matter of fact, you're right, right? And you got to get me out of jail or prison. If not, I'm not going to tell you your dream. As a matter of fact, I am the golden child. I am the dreamer of dreams. And you need to protect me, save me. You got to get Potiphar. You got to get Potiphar's wife. And then I'm going to tell you what the dream meant. No. What we see in Joseph is an incredible amount of humility and constantly glorifying the Lord. The last time he was with the butler and the baker, they tried to do the same thing, and he gave all the glory to God. But now in verse 16, Joseph answers Pharaoh saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Again, two years of being falsely accused and imprisoned. Now the leader of the nation pulls you out to have a private meeting. How do you react? Do you try to sway things for your own power? Do you try to sway things for your own honor, your own strength, your own ambition? Or do you stay humble and give all the glory to God? We can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're reminded of the way we should be acting as Christians, as believers, as people who say they're going to heaven when they die. 1 Peter chapter 5 reminds us of the heart and the character that we should have dealing with other people. 1 Peter chapter 5. And in verse 5 it tells us, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Family, we need to put on humility. We need to be clothed with humility. And if we're honest, in the day and age you live in, there's very little humility, right? When you walk into a room, are you ready to teach everyone about everything that you know? Or are you walking into a room saying, man, I wonder if someone who could teach me something here. These people in this room, man, they know more about life or the situations going on than I do. That's a heart and having the character of humility, right? And we need to know, it tells us God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And again, who is Peter writing this letter to? Believers or unbelievers? To believers, so what does that mean believers can struggle with? Pride. No, Zach, I don't struggle with pride. No, you're struggling with pride right now, right? 
That's exactly what's happening. Peter is warning believers, hey, you can struggle with pride. And if you are prideful, the Lord is going to resist you. He's going to resist you. I don't know if you've ever played around with your kids as dads, right? Or, and, and they're trying to fight you. And all you got to do is just put your hand on their forehead, right? All you got to do is do keep away. And there's no way they're going to touch you. There's no way they're going to mess with you. And when we are prideful, when we come to the Lord in our pride, he resists us. He keeps us at an arm's length. But now when we are humble, he brings us in and he gives us grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. He gives us all the things that we don't deserve. That's just added love and mercy and care for us. So again, family, in dealing with one another, put on humility. Put on humility. Maybe you don't know it all. Maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe the Lord does know. The Lord, he does know. But for us to have that heart of humility. And then in verse 6, it tells us the action that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, God is the one who's going to exalt us in due time. And that's exactly what's happening with Joseph here. We don't see Joseph trying to have a prison break in Egypt. We don't see him trying to overthrow the prison or trying to cause chaos in the prison. We see that the leaders within the prison could trust Joseph with the very inmates, right? That they would trust Joseph to take care of the inmates and take care of the prison. It's insanity, but yet he was so humble and he took care of the things given to his care that in God's due time, he exalted him. And then in verse 7, what should we do? We should cast all of our care upon him. Not on Facebook, right? All of our cares, all of our worries, we're quick to throw them online. We're quick to go on rants in front of people. But what we should be doing is laying all those cares at the feet of Christ. All those cares, we should have time in prayer with the Lord, time communicating with the Lord, not going on a rant against him, but saying, Lord, these are my struggles. These are my fears. These are the things that don't make sense right now. Lord, are you around? Lord, are you seeing it, right? Like David did in the Psalms. Lord, the wicked, they're going around and they're winning. They're leading. They're getting richer and richer every day. Lord, what is going on? We need to cast our care on him because he actually cares about us. He actually cares about us. I have some bad news for you. Everyone on social media, they don't care about you. They don't care about you. Many people on social media, they don't care about what you have to say. But God, he cares about you. He cares what you have to say. And yet usually he's the last person we go to. So again, what must have been transpiring in Joseph's heart during these two years when he's in prison, during the time where he's in slavery to Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, constantly being tempted with sin, constantly being tempted with a beautiful woman, and yet he was obedient to the Lord. Finally, Proverbs 3, verse 34, that's where Peter gets this from. He says, surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. Family, we need grace. I don't know about you, but I need grace. I need God's mercy. That's why I need to be merciful and gracious to other people. We go back to Genesis 41. And again, Joseph, he doesn't take any of the glory. He doesn't see he's the man for the job. He's the only one that knows. He gives all the credit to the Lord. He doesn't use the work of God in his life as self-glorification. And we can be tempted to do that. Sometimes we're serving the Lord and what we're using it for as a billboard to say how awesome I am. How great I am. Lots of pastors, they fall into sin of pride thinking that they're all that in a bag of chips and now they become the star of the show. And no, it's the Lord that has done the work, right? Sometimes the enemy lies to us, right? The context there in 1 Peter 5, it tells us to be humble. It tells us to resist being proudful. And then what's the verse right afterwards? The enemy's prowling around, roaring around, looking for whom he can devour. When you're filled with pride, you're easy game for the devil. When you're humble, when you know, God, I can't do this without you, now you're in the right zone. Now you're in the right place. Now you're with the pack and the devil, the lion's not just going to pick you out because you're in the back. But again, we need to give all the credit to the Lord. 
Don't use God's work in your life for self-glorification. Don't use the gifts that God has given you for self-glorification. Use those gifts and talents to glorify the Lord. Genesis 41 verse 17, it tells us, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed on the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt." So I can't read this verse without laughing. One of my friends, a long time ago, he said that when you would write cards to people, right? I don't know if you ever received a card that has a, a verse reference on it. How many of you actually check the verse reference, right? Some of us do, some of us don't. So he would throw in random verses there to see if people would check. This is a great verse to put on someone's wedding card, right? Someone's wedding card, Genesis 41, right? Verse 19, and just see what happens. See if they catch it or not. Husbands, don't write that in your anniversary card. It's bad news. Don't do that. Don't do it. But verse 20, we keep going. He says, And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them. They ate the fat cows. They didn't gain any weight. They didn't get any bigger. They were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I woke up. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good, and then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So again, the dream here that Pharaoh has, he has seven fat cows, seven skinny cows come, they eat the seven fat cows, they gain no weight, nothing happens, he wakes up freaking out, right? And there's seven stalks of grain. They're healthy. They're good. When verse 23 says that they were blighted by the east wind, all the deserts in Egypt, they're towards the east and throughout scripture. East wind, it scorches the crops and it messes up the crops. So here you have seven healthy stalks of grain with seven withered, dried up, nasty looking pieces of grain. And they absorbed all the nutrients out of them and they killed them, yet they didn't look any better. That's what's happening in the dream. Then in verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God, right? He doesn't say me. He doesn't say I. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Family, how would we react to this, right? Lord, you're going to cause a famine on the land? Lord, you're going to cause pain. You're going to cause hunger. What kind of a God are you? Right? What kind of a monster are you? Uh, Joseph is such a good person, yet bad things are happening to him. Now, Egypt, what have they done to deserve these things? And family, we need to trust in the Lord. Because again, in a season of trial, God's going to use it to lift up Joseph. And God's going to use Egypt, a pagan nation, to feed themselves, care for themselves, and care for all the surrounding cities which will in turn care for Joseph's ten brothers and his dads and continue to protect the lineage, the seed of Jesus Christ. Again, our God is amazing. That's why we need to be careful in complaining in seasons of famine or difficult seasons in life. We need to trust in the Lord. That's the time where our faith is tested. Hey, are you able to trust the Lord in the season of famine? It's easy to trust him when things are great and good. But are you able to trust him in the season of famine? Verse 29. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after the seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following for it will be very severe. 
And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. We saw it last time when Joseph speaks with the two gentlemen. He says, both of you dreamt the same dream because God, he's emphasizing what he has told you. That's the same thing here in verse 32. It says, hey, the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because this thing is established by God. And family, we should take this into consideration for our own lives. When you have two different believers share with you the same exact verse or the same exact thought in your life, you got to take a seat and say, Lord, are you trying to speak to me through these people? In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, you can just write it down. It says, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Again, we've spoken about it in our, in our, at least in mine, in my Hispanic culture, when someone's trying to get your attention, they say the same thing just louder and louder and louder and louder. Right? And that's, you know, you're trying to get my attention. The Lord, he just simply repeats the same thing for us. Right? There's no bold, there's no emojis here in the scriptures, right? So he just repeats things for us. And that's when we need to take note. Lord, are you really speaking to me in my life? Lord, are you opening heaven and are you trying to speak to me? Lord, who in the world am I that you should speak to me? So just be considerate about that. Pay attention to that. Verse 33, it says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Again, family, how would you deal with this? If you're a good businessman and you're stuck in prison, at least what I would do in my flesh is, hey, Pharaoh, I have the way out. I have the way to fix all the land. But you got to hire me, protect me. You got to sign these documents. And then I'll do whatever you want me to do. But right away, Joseph, again, trusting in the Lord and trying to be obedient to the Lord, he gives him the answer. He gives him the way out. He gives him the word that the Lord is telling him. He says, hey, we got to collect 20% of the produce within Egypt during these seven plentiful years. Then in verse 35, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land of the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So again, the Lord, he gives them very practical application to the scary dream, the weird dream, the freaky dream. He says, hey, this is what's going to happen. And here is some practical ways to protect yourselves and your family. And family, often God works through the practical everyday things in our lives. We don't usually want to hear from him there. We usually kind of hate the practical things. But God wants to work in us and through us on the practical, everyday things in life. God says, hey, there's going to be a crazy years of blessing and crazy years of famine. And God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to come and heal and protect all of you. He just says, hey, just start saving, build some storehouses, and be prepared. God, again, is using the practicality of saving up food to save the entire world and to save the lineage of Jesus Christ. Donald Barnhouse, he says, God always works through men performing tasks on earth. Family, God wants to use us in the practical and the everyday and the mundane. Oftentimes, that's when we can reveal the true working of God's heart in our lives, in our hearts. We just finished through the book of Acts with the young adults. And the Lord, he used angels, but he used angels in supernatural ways to free people from prison and to do different things like that. But the men proclaiming the gospel, it was men. It wasn't the angels. The people taking care of the new church, it wasn't angels. It was mere mortals like us. The people praying for one another and doing miracles, it was people like us doing the everyday, doing the practical. So again, family, are we willing to allow the Lord to use the practical, everyday things that we're doing to honor Him and glorify Him? 
Right? Sometimes you say, Lord, I want to buy this thing. Or, Lord, I want to go on this mission trip for you. Lord, I need you to do a miracle. And, Lord, just drop the $1,500 on my lap. And sometimes the Lord will do that. But sometimes he'll say, okay, start saving for the next two years. And you'll have the $1,500. And then you can go on the missions trip. So for us to allow the Lord to work in us and speak to us about the practical aspects of our lives. Verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Verse 38, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this? A man in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. Again, Joseph, he didn't have to toot his own horn. It's not like a lot of the reality TV shows, right? With contests, everybody gives their sob story, and that's how they get more votes, right? Joseph didn't sit here, Pharaoh, let me give you my sob story, right? I was sold into slavery. My brothers wanted to kill me. I've done this and that. And everybody votes for Joseph, right, via text, right? No. He's just honest and real. And now the evidence of the working and the spirit in God is what's pouring out of Joseph's life. And when the spirit of God is working in your life, people like that. People want to be with other people who have the fruits of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Do you not want to be around people that have supernatural love and supernatural grace, supernatural mercy and kindness and gentleness and patience with you? Is that not the type of people you like to be around or that you would like to hire for your business or the type of coworkers that you would like to have? And again, this is amazing. This is the first mention in the entire Bible of a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit. The first mention in the whole Bible of a man who has the Holy Spirit upon him. A slave who's in prison even though he hasn't done any wrong. The first person recorded in scripture that the spirit of God is upon him. And pay attention to what Pharaoh says. He says, who else can we find who has the spirit of God? And no one is as discerning and no one is as wise as you. And family, just like the world does not have the answers for the questions it's posing, true discernment and true wisdom only come from God. True wisdom and true discernment only come from God. And again, in the day and age we're living, wouldn't we like more discernment? Wouldn't we like more wisdom? You don't know who to trust. You don't know who to believe, right? We need wisdom and discernment more than ever. A couple of verses, you can write them down. Job chapter 28, verse 28 it says, and to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that is understanding. As Job 28 verse 28, Psalm 111 verse 10. It tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalm 111 verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9 verse 10. You see, family, the wisdom and discernment of Joseph, it didn't just come all at once when he was there in front of Pharaoh. The wisdom and discernment of Joseph started off when he was treated harshly and wrongly, and yet he didn't do anything against his brothers. The wisdom and discernment, the fear of God and Joseph, it didn't start when he was with Pharaoh giving him the dream. It started when Potiphar's wife was coming onto him and he said, no, I can't do this sin against my God. So if you want more wisdom during this season, if you want more discernment during this season, spend time with God. Spend time with God and spend your time fleeing away from sin because that's the fear of the Lord. And in the fear of the Lord, that's where wisdom is. That's where understanding is. That's where discernment comes from, family. It's fearing God. It's not being consumed with what do people think of me, but Lord, what do you think of me? It's not consumed with, Lord, what does social media say? What does the news say? It's consumed with, Lord, what does your word have to say for the day and age and the seasons that we're living in? 
This is where we can gain that wisdom and discernment that the world would look at and marvel and say, hey, you're the only man for the job. You're the top person here within the field because there's something special in your heart. You work harder than anyone else. It's like you actually care about your job. It's like you actually care about the people that you're dealing with. So again, family, may we fear the Lord. May we depart from evil. May during this season we be cutting off more sins and more weights. It was so sweet at the Young Adults Retreat. One of the just practical parts of wisdom from Pastor Rich was to read your Bible every day and to really trust with what the Lord has spoken to you that morning. Read your Bible and then whatever the Lord shows you, trust that the Lord is going to use it to minister to someone or to minister to yourself. And you can look like a total wise and super smart person, right? Someone's dealing with something and, you, hey, Proverbs chapter 9 says this. Oh, man, I just read this morning. Today's the 19th, so I read Proverbs 19. And this is what Proverbs 19 has to say. Wow, you're so smart, right? You're so wise. No, I'm just hanging out with the wisest man that has ever existed, right? I'm just hanging out with the creator of heaven and earth. I'm just hanging out with the one who wrote the beginning of the book and knows exactly how the book is going to end. And when we hang out with him, when we spend time with him, you're going to become wiser and more understanding and you're going to have more discernment in a season where it seems like no one has discernment, right? Common sense, I hope you guys all know, it's not that common anymore. So back to Genesis chapter 41, verse 40, right? Because of Joseph and his character, his character that's made while he's in prison, while he's in slavery, while nobody knows his name, the character that has been forged in that season, now in verse 40 says, You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Again, family, imagine a prison inmate is brought to the White House. A problem is given to him, right? How would the vice president be dealing with this, right? A problem is given to him and now all of a sudden he says, hey, you're second in command. During this season we've seen that magical book, right? The executive order book and whatever it says happens, right? The signet ring is like if he's giving, hey, whatever you write in here is going to happen. Whatever you do, hey, it's going to happen. He gives him a gold chain, verse 43, and he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. Hey, you can take my Lamborghini chariot and you can drive around. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or his foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him as a wife, Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went over all the land of Egypt. And again, family, what a rags-to-riches story, right? You have a man who's been forsaken by his family, beat up, sold into slavery in a foreign land. He's brought all the way to Egypt, sold into slavery. He's picked up into prison. And now 13 years later, he's the second most powerful man in the entire world. Again, in family, that's the power of God. That's the work that the Lord can do in you if you just take care of that character. Take care of your character. Not when everybody's watching Not when you're on the platform doing worship. Not when you're there ushering people in. But in the mundane, when it's just you and your spouse. When it's just you and the TV. When it's just you and your phone. Take care of your character. Cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me depart from evil. Help me to love your word more than ever. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Again, family, it's been a wild ride here, right? At 17 years old, he has all these dreams. He thinks, wow, the Lord really wants to use me. We don't know if he tells his brothers in pride or maybe he wasn't too discerning, right? And he just tells his brothers without thinking. But 13 years later, the ride that the Lord has brought him in 
And what would have happened? What would have happened to Joseph if he would have given in to sin or given in to temptation? What would have happened to Joseph in those two years in prison? He says, you know what, forget this. I'm mad. I'm angry. I haven't been dealt with correctly. And he starts causing problems within the jail. What would happen? And so often when we're in the season of turmoil and when things aren't making sense, often you see believers faced with temptation. They just give in and they bail out on God. They just say, hey, this is too tough. This is too hard. I'm just going to give in to sin. I'm just going to give in to temptation. And they're giving up. They're giving up all the blessings and the plan that God has for them. And now if that's you here, God, he still has a plan for your life. If you're willing to come clean with him, if you're willing to get right with him, right, depart evil and seek the Lord, he still has plans and purposes for you. But if you just continue down the path of sin, that path that leads to death, it leads to destruction. So again, family, may we seek the Lord in the tough times and in the good times. David Guzik, he says, Joseph is a good example of a man who seemed to have all the gifts and all the talents for leadership, but God developed his character and talents over many years. Gifts and talents may be impressive and immediate, but character is what God looks for and always takes time to develop. Again, you may have the giftings. You may think you're all that in a bag of chips. But you need the difficulties for God to work that character within you so that he can use you for his plan and for his will. And again, did God not teach Joseph certain things, leading Potiphar's home, learning the Egyptian language, learning the Egyptian trade? Did he not learn a couple of things, being in charge of a bunch of prisoners in a jail and getting them to do work right for God and to do things for the Lord? Did not God use all of these hardships to refine Joseph and make him a vessel better used for the Lord? He used him. And he needed all of those difficult seasons in life to be used by God. So again, family, don't give up. Don't just jump out of the fire when God is forging you and working on you. Stay in the heat. Stay in the battle. Stay pressed into the Lord. And again, we see the heart, the character of Joseph. Right away, verse 46, Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and he went all throughout the land of Egypt. Right away, he goes to work. He doesn't say, hey, man, these past few years have been tough. I deserve a day on the Nile, you know, hang out. I need a little me time. It's been tough. The jail's been rough. No, right away, he gets on task. Right away, he begins to survey the land of Egypt, saying, Lord, use me. Verse 47, it says, now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them. So Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. So Joseph, he just does what the Lord revealed to him to do. Family, when you obey God and what he's revealed to you to do, good things happen. Just know that. When God reveals his plans and purposes for you, he says, hey, this is the right thing to do here. When we're obedient, good things usually happen, right? Joseph, he collects the 20% on all the produce of Egypt, and now he's collecting more grain than he can count. And this idea, this mindset of saving for later on, this is just a biblical mindset that is not, if we're honest, natural to us. The path of least resistance does not lead us to saving for the future, right? The lust of the flesh wants us to gain it right now, waste it right now. We all have different kids, right? Some of them, they have a dollar, they got to blow it right away. And there's other kids, no, I got I to gotta save it for later. I got to do something later on. A couple of scriptures we should know, we should take to heart. Proverbs chapter 6. We can turn there, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 6, we'll look at verse 6 through 9. And it tells us, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? Again, family, we should be saving 
We should be saving on for the future. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. We can start in verse 3. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3. It tells us, The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son, and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. We'll start in verse 20. It tells us, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Now, don't go sharing this verse with your parents or your grandparents. That's not what we're looking at here. That's not the focus. The focus for us is, Lord, am I saving for later on? Lord, the little I have right now in this season, am I saving for later on? It came out on the news. There was a few people who they got their stimulus checks and they went to Las Vegas and they wasted all their money right away. Right, what have you done? If you got the stimulus check or not, what have you done? Oh, Lord, the TV I've been praying for. Lord, it finally came in, right? I got new rims for my car. I really wanted this new ping pong table. I don't know what it is, right? Or did we use that to save for later? Lord, what are you doing in my life? And if the Lord makes it a point to remind us to save for later in this life, family, how much more should we be saving up for heaven? Are we putting riches in heaven? Are we putting anything into our bank accounts in heaven? Right? As you get older, you start thinking about 401k, retirement, and how long do those things last? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years if you did really well? But that account in heaven is for all of eternity. It's for all of eternity. So how much are we putting up there? Have we so forgotten that this world is not our home? That the bank accounts in this day and age, hey, they're important, they're good. Again, the practical with the spiritual, with the work. We need all three of those things to grow and mature with the Lord. But are we so focused on the practical that we have forgotten about the spiritual? That we've forgotten, hey, this is not my home and I'm consumed with this world. So family, store up riches in heaven. Be about your father's business during the season. And the great thing is it's not like a stock market where your riches in heaven are going up and down depending on what's happening. There's no moth that can eat it. There's no rust that's going to decay it. What we put into heaven will last for all of eternity. So be wise. Be practical. Lord, where can you use me? Lord, do you need help serving at the church? Lord, can I bless a kid being able to go to youth camp? Lord, can I help out VBS? Can I bless a young adult? Can I bless a married couple being able to go? Lord, should I start serving? God, should I pray for this person? Should I invite this person over the house? Should I make them some guava and cheese and crackers and hand it out to them, right? Lord, what are you calling me to do that it's a work for you and for you alone? Because I don't want to get to heaven and be bankrupt, right? I don't want to get to heaven and, wow, this is what I'm living with the rest of eternity. All right, I should have saved a little better, right? May we be ready. We go back to Genesis chapter 41 and then in verse 50, it tells us, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Again, look at the heart and character of Joseph. He doesn't say, I'm going to call the first one Joseph the second. I'm going to call the second one Joseph the third, right? Because I rose from the ashes from slavery and now I'm the second in command in Egypt. So now I'm the most amazing man. No, he didn't take anything upon himself. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to name the first one Potiphar and the second one Pharaoh. Because look at these guys and how they saved my life. No, he gave all the glory to the Lord. That's kind of funny. The first one, Manasseh, his name means forgetful. And the second one, his name is Ephraim. His name means fruitful. And what Joseph is revealing to us is the way to be fruitful in life is to forget your toil 
and the pain from your father's house. We have to forget about those things. We have to let those things go. So often in this world, we define who we are to our core by the pain and the problems we've gone through or we've dealt with. And now this pain for a season, now it becomes our life and we're defining ourselves by a bad situation that happened years ago and we're allowing the enemy to use that to steal our joy and the fruitfulness that God has for us in the future. Again, if Joseph would come to a psychiatrist, what in the world would they do? How was your upbringing? Well, my daddy had several wives. Well, okay. He had several kids. He made me the favorite. My 11 brothers, they plotted to kill me. They kind of got away with it. They sold me into slavery. My two older brothers, they slept with a bunch of random women. Then they came to a city. They made all the guys in the city cut themselves up and get ready, right? Circumcise themselves. And then they murdered the entire city. And I'm here in a foreign land where I don't know anybody's language. I don't know anything. Can you help me out, right? What in the world does the psychiatrist say? Hey, take two of these and meet me in the morning, right? What would they say? But Joseph doesn't use the pain and the problems from his past to define his entire life family. And it's the same thing for us with the Lord. May we allow the Lord and what the word says define us. Don't go just, hey, this is my pain, this is my past. And we all meet people like that. Sometimes we do that, right? Hey, how are you? What's your name? Man, my wife left me and I did nothing wrong. Oh, nice to meet you, right? It's great to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you. How you doing? Man, the last church I went, they were whacked. They robbed me. They took everything away from me. Oh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, right? Nice to meet you. How you doing? Man, when I was five years old, I fell off the bike and I still have the scars. Man, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, right? There are those of us that we just live off of the pain of our past instead of saying, Lord, what do you have for me? Lord, how can I grow with you today? That we'd be focused on the Lord, forgetful of the pain and the toil we've been through, and just focused on God. Because, family, that is how we can be fruitful. That's how we can be fruitful even in the land of our affliction. Again, Joseph, he gives all the credit to God. He forgets, he lets go of all the wrongs which he had received in order to receive the blessings and the goodness of the Lord. That's why it's so important for us to be able to forgive family. So important for us to not hold on to bitterness or grudges. So important to forgive and to love. Because that's the only way that we can receive the fruit that God has for us. Psalm 27 verse 13, it tells us, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I don't know if that's you today. Have you lost heart? You look at the news, the media, do you look at your family and just say, man, what's the point? What's the point? There's no point to this. Hey, we need to believe. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to believe that we're going to see the goodness of the Lord. If in this life, hey, that's double bonus. But we know in heaven where our real life is going to be, hey, we're going to see the goodness of God. We keep going, verse 53. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, they ended and the seven years of famine began to come. And Joseph had said the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. And whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and he sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. And again, this little thing it just reveals to us, it's not a natural thing. It's not a fleshly thing to save and prepare for the future. Every single Egyptian had access to the same seven years of bountifulness, yet none of them were ready and prepared for what was up ahead. So again, may we be prepared, not packing saticha in the sheetrock, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being prepared for heaven, storing up those gifts, that balance sheet in heaven. Verse 57, so all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Again, family, the Lord, he spoke to Joseph. He showed him what Pharaoh's dream meant. 
He revealed to him what was going to happen. He gave him the wisdom how to handle it. And now because Joseph was obedient to the Lord, God's going to use Joseph. God's going to use Joseph. God's going to use a pagan nation of Egypt to protect and save all the surrounding people. God's going to use a pagan nation to protect Egypt, to protect all the surrounding nations. He's going to use that same pagan nation to protect his 11 brothers and his father. They're going to come. His dreams are finally going to be met. The Lord's going to answer the dreams, the plan, the purposes he gave to him because he was obedient to the Lord. Again, God's using a pagan nation and a famine to protect the seed and the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's how our God is able to work because Joseph was obedient and because a famine came upon the land. So again, family, when things are happening that we don't understand, we have to trust in God. That's not the time to get off the boat. That's not the time to say, hey, church isn't important anymore. The Bible is not important anymore. No, that's the time to press into the Lord more than ever. And Romans chapter 8, such an important scripture for us. Lots of times it can be taken out of context, but so important within the context that we would be encouraged the Lord, he's still wanting to work. He's still wanting to pour out his spirit on us. But are we ready? Are we available? Are we reading our word? Are we looking to say, Lord, I'm here, send me. Romans chapter 8, verse 23, it says, Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Again, family, may we be those who are the called according to his purpose. May we be in prayer. May we be hoping against all hope, saying, Lord, I'm going to keep writing. I'm not going to bail out. I'm going to keep pressing into you. For the dads here, the moms, now's not the time to let go of the gas pedal and seeking the Lord and making the Lord the priority in your home. Now's the time to press in all the more. 